This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. So we are in a unique season. Uh, This four-week series is culminating to this point where not only you and I are sojourners, what's going on? Uh, Not only is it that you are an expat living in Korea, not only is 2020 a foreign year where everything is changing, uh, what we're actually at today is that we as a church, we're homeless. And this may be the only time I actually ever preach this message because it's such a unique season. But uh, I just want to let you know and encourage you, uh, we are not worried by any means. Uh, We haven't been this whole year. We've been wanting a space. We've been wanting a a physical church building so that we can gather. Those are all good things to long for, but we haven't been panicked. Why? Because we know at the end of the day, uh, Hamilton Hotel does not define Gospel City. In your mind, if I was to ask you, what do you think about when you think about Gospel City? Do you think about Hamilton Hotel? Do you think about that building that's right outside the subway? Uh, do you think about Itaewon? And that's, uh, that's Gospel City's home. No. Uh, Gospel City, uh, what defines us, what makes us us, is you. Right? Uh, if you can see yourself in the mirror, uh, you would see, say that you are Gospel City. Right? Uh, though we can't actually uh, see each other, if you think about the very people uh, that, 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 that compose uh, this church. You may think, oh, Gospel City and Pastor Joel. But no, that's not it. It's actually the many people who have come through, the very people uh, that you think about, the very people that you sit next to, the very people that you do life with, that you do small group with. That is Gospel City. And so Gospel City is more alive today than ever. If anything, we're fighting harder uh, to stay connected. Because what you realize is this is the church. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary defines the church as a building used for public uh, Christian worship. Uh, if you know that, uh, that the church is a gathered people and not a physical building, uh, at this moment right here, right now, you are smarter than the Oxford Dictionary. Because the Oxford Dictionary has gotten it wrong. They call it a building used for public Christian worship. Wrong. The church is you and I. It's us right here, right? It's the people that you think of. And so we haven't been worried. And we know that the Lord will provide us space. Uh, I believe this will continue to test the amazing testimony of our church. It's I think it's one of those stories that you get chills when you read how precise the timing has been every time. And so even with this, uh, to realize the church is not a building, it's a gathering. And so the question is, what kind of gathering is it? Is it like any other club? Is it like an NGO? Is it a group of friends that have the same social status? Is Is it that kind of group? And if you were to attend a physical gathering, you would recognize we are as diverse as you can be. Even the staff that have uh, come together in the past, you know, two, three months now, um, I'm the only, like, English speaker. Everybody else is, like, bilingual, trilingual. We are confused. 
And that's our church. The one thing that truly holds us common is not our, our heritage. It's not our culture. It's not our language. It's not our accent. It is Christ. And that's what you'll find when you come to Gospel City. And when you see this gathered people, you'll recognize we're not rich. We're not cool. We're not special. What we are is we're holy. We are sacred. You are sacred. When we come together, it's a sacred gathering. In uh, Hebrews, in verse uh, 19 of chapter 10, starts off by saying, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. This passage is sandwiched in between uh, these, 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 these passages that, that, that talk about Christ and how he fulfills the Old Testament law, how he is the perfect high priest, how he's a perfect sacrifice, how he is the temple himself. And it's in this, he helps us understand what Christ has done. What he has done, he has opened up that curtain in that, in that tabernacle uh, to the holy of holies, to the holy place. And what this verse is saying in verse 20 is that Jesus himself is the curtain. As the curtain was torn in half, Jesus was torn, where all our sins were put on him, and how through him it says that he has opened up the way to the place, uh, to the holy place. And so he is the great high priest. That's the message. He is the great high priest. And so for the Old Testament people, they longed for this special place where God himself would reside. Right? It was the place where only the high priest could come in once a year. It's that place. And so everyone, when they saw Aaron go into that space, it was that longing of, I want to be in God's presence, that intimate presence. And what this is saying is we, we you and I, we have the, the privilege where the curtain has been torn and you can enter into the Holy of Holies. It's that, that that's what it's talking about. And so it's, 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 that's, the, that's the setup for the sermon. How it's that holy place. How do you enter into God's presence? The first uh, command is, is uh, let us draw near in faith, right? In verse 22, let us draw near to God with full assurance of faith. The way that you know and experience God is that you draw near to God, not half-heartedly, but with full faith, the full assurance of faith. I mean, this is powerful if you think about it. What this is saying is for some of us, we really struggle with having that assurance that God loves us. We struggle with that assurance that God has forgiven us. Right? We struggle with that assurance that God, you know what I've done. God, you know my struggles. God, I remember the ways that my parents may have yelled at me. And, and that, that scar and, and that voice in your mind that says, you're not lovable. You're not good enough. What this text is saying is you can have 
full assurance that God loves you, that you are loved by God. That's what this is saying. Regardless of our past, when you come to him and put your faith in him, you enter into the Lord's presence, the holy of holies. And it's in that place you're transformed. You are not transformed by religion. You're not transformed by your good efforts. If anything, all those things end up becoming a burden upon us and it makes us bitter, makes us judgmental. It, it makes us look down on others who aren't as good as we are. But in this text, what it's saying, it's by Christ and his life, death, resurrection. It tears that curtain. And now you, regardless of what you have done, you can truly have assurance that God is with you, that God loves you, whatever you've done. In order to truly enter into the Lord's presence, you draw near in faith. You also hold fast to hope. Right, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, you hold fast not just to hope, but the confession of hope. What it's talking about is, is heart language. It's not just simply you've memorized the Apostles' Creed. It's not simply that you can uh, recite uh, the gospel. It's a confession. I know I'm a sinner. I know I struggle. I know that God has done this for me, that he has, has bridged that chasm. He has come to earth. He has become man, right? In this verse, it says what? For he who promised is faithful. It's saying, put your hope not in your works. It's saying, put your hope in who? In God, the one who is faithful. So think about that. It's God who tears that curtain open. It's God who is faithful, who is walking with you to, to bring you into his presence. And then three, the last exhortation in this is now uh, let us draw near in faith, hold fast to hope, now meet together in love. Meet together in love. Verse 24, let us consider it doesn't say just let us stir up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the, the big picture is there's the holy of holies. The curtain has been opened. It's God who is doing all of this work. And now it's really saying to truly enter this, yes, you need to, you need to uh, draw near in faith, hold, uh, hold fast to hope, but you have to meet together. Only by meeting together do you truly experience his deep, deep presence. You see, we have to gather together to experience the deepest presence of God. And so that's what we're struggling with. Right? That's what we're struggling with here and now. When you say, oh, what, what I miss is the gathering, I miss the energy, what you're really saying is I miss that time, that sacred moment, that sacred community as we all come together where that place is transformed, the presence of God is there thick. That's what we miss. 
We don't miss simply the energy, right? That energy can be found in so many other places. What we love about church is that it's a sacred space. It helps us experience the love of God very deeply. And this is a pattern throughout Scripture. But I want to jump to Revelation. Because as the, 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 uh, the letter of uh, this book, uh, Revelation, as it starts in chapter 1, it, it starts off with uh, seven letters. But before those seven letters, it prefaces the importance of these churches and where Jesus stands. So Revelation 1, 12 to 13 says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and, I, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. It's very specific. Uh, amongst the church, Christ stands. Continues on, chapter 2, verse 1. Again, this, this, this uh, repetition to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among. What's that language? It's that language of Genesis. Jesus, God, walked among his people. That's the image. That it's, it's amongst the church in this very broken world. Yes, you can pursue the Lord individually, right? You, you, hold, you hold fast to hope, right? You hold fast to this confession. But it is that in our gathered community, you experience something different. It's that holy of holies. And so you see from Jesus' resurrection, the church always coming together to do this. Acts 9, 4 to 5, right? Um, actually, before that, in Acts 9, 4 to 5, this is another reference of how much Jesus identifies with his people. Uh, as as uh, Paul, or Saul, is persecuting Christians, Jesus, this is how he, how he identifies with the church. In verse 4, Saul, Saul, this is God speaking, Jesus speaking, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Who is Paul persecuting? He's not persecuting Jesus, he's persecuting the Christians. He's persecuting the church. But, but Jesus so identifies with us that he takes a persecution of the church to be a persecution of him. So Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because Jesus dwells with his people. I believe Jesus agonizes with his people in persecution. That's how thick it is. Since the resurrection, you see the, 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 the church now gathering all the time, gathering and gathering, because that's what you do, because it's in the present, it's in the people of God that you experience the presence of God. And so we have uh, from the church, right, people eager uh, to gather. So in, in Acts 2, 46, as uh, Peter uh, preaches this introductory sermon of all that's going on, connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's in this, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. What you see is, is, is now the, uh, the division of how you actually do this. You gather in big community and you gather in small community. Right? There's a lot of people in our postmodern time that we, we only value uh, the, the, the house church feel, the small gatherings. But throughout the book of Acts, you see them continually coming together in as basically as big as groups as possible. This, the first 
time in which uh, Peter preaches this message, 3,000 come. I mean, that's the mega church, right? It's so criticized today. But to know that it's not about the size of the church. It can be a big church and healthy. But it's this big gathering that God is now working. In Acts 3, it's Solomon's portico, right? It's, it's, this, it's this temple, this colonnade, right, where people are now gathering. Why do they do that? Because it's in the people of God they find the presence of God. Even as you jump into even later, later chapters, Acts 19, they rent, uh, Paul rents a hall of Tyrannus, right, for two years to talk, to discuss. That's what you did because it was in that place as you studied the word, as you learned about, about who God is, that it was the presence of God. And so they gathered and they gathered and they gathered, but also they gathered in small groups as well. And it was always like this. It was always in this way where you had these massive gatherings where the presence of God was thick, but they had these intimate gatherings where now you're known. You share your struggles. You pray for each other. That's what we see. You see, Christianity is completely unique than all other religions, right? We know of other religions that have monks. And what they do is they seclude themselves. They go, they isolate themselves into solitude. They go into the mountain. And that's how they, that's, that's how they experience God. For us, yes, we have those moments when we go away because our individual faith matters. But what you realize in Christianity is very different. It's never you alone. The church always gathers right, the extrovert and the introvert, right? They always gather because you can't replace that. You can't replace that. It's the sacred community. Though we don't have a church building, uh, know that Gospel City is doing just fine. It's doing just fine. Yes, yeah, some groups are struggling because of COVID and all of that, but we're doing just fine. If we never get a building, it'll be okay. We'll just have to be very, very creative. But the reality is, is Gospel City is not defined by a building. It never will be, no matter how amazing the space will be, because it'll always be about the people. It's because the people are sacred. If you don't understand this, what you will do is you'll flatten uh, the church to nothing more than spiritual TED Talks and spiritual karaoke bars. That's all it'll be. Right? If that's all you flatten it to be, these spiritual TED Talks, oh, that was a good quote. Oh, that worship time was powerful. Oh, that was a good time. It's simply that what you will miss is what's actually happening. God dwelling with his people, doing a deep work in you. It's a spiritual thing. If you don't understand this, you'll never appreciate the church. If you don't understand this, you'll never be devoted to the church. Once you know this, you're devoted. You will do everything to make that church healthier. You'll do everything to make that small group healthier. It's not easy. It never was easy. First century church, it never was easy, which is why there's so many letters about love one another, bear, bear with each other, be patient. Because since then, we were sinful. Since Genesis 3, we were sinful. But it's something that happens as we gather it's a holy moment, not a holy space, a holy moment, a holy people.
The church is sacred. And it's a sacred gathering that also allows us to endure, that also allows us to persevere. It's an enduring gathering. Verse 24, talking about how we gather together. And verse 25 says, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The idea of gathering is spoken in light of what's to come. There is a time in which Jesus will come back. It's going to get harder to, to, to hold on to your face. So gather. Don't stop meeting. Don't stop meeting. Church, no matter how hard it is, don't stop meeting. It will be your lifeline in this season. I know Zoom is not easy, but don't stop meeting. Why? Verse uh, chapter 2 of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews talks, has many sections of, of people uh, giving up their face, faith. And so this is a section of it. Hebrews 2, 1 to, 3, 1 to 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Listen, right? Listen. Pay attention, lest you drift away. You know, our natural default, neutral in our faith, you would think, oh, if I, just, if I just put it in neutral and coast, you think, oh, I'm not getting worse. No, you are. Literally, as you put it in neutral, you swerve away. It's, the idea is like it's a road that's curved, right? And when you're in the middle, if you're in neutral, slowly, you may not feel it, but slowly, you'll go away from the center. That's the idea. You drift away. Hebrews 5 talks about, uh, you know, is, is exhortation, don't become dull of hearing. And I know, uh, listening to a sermon uh, via TV, uh, you get real, you, it gets real uh, old fast, right? It's, it's, it's this non-human interaction aspect of it. But encouragement is, do your best. Don't get dull of hearing. Uh, in the ESV study Bible, the commentator says this, David Chapman, also my professor from uh, seminary, shout out to him. Uh, he says, uh, Christian perseverance is a community endeavor. Christian perseverance is a community endeavor. There are no lone rangers. I don't care what you have done in your spiritual life. I don't, I don't care how committed you think you are. No one is strong enough to do it alone. I've met many missionaries deeply struggling, not because of their commitment, but because they feel so alone. You may be thinking, really? Aren't you over-exaggerating to make your point? Is it really that necessary? I'm committed. I know what I believe. I've thought it through. I've had major uh, conversion, conversion experiences and, and, and uh, Holy Spirit moments and all of that. I think about several people in my life. One, uh, a friend who was interested in going to seminary. It was a while back. I was uh, finishing up seminary. He calls me up, um, and he just asked me all these questions about my seminary and, and how I enjoyed it and how I, uh, you know, how I was able to make the ends meet financially. And I shared with him everything. And then he told me, you know, most likely that he would come out to Korea uh, to uh, make some money, save some money, so that he can uh, go back uh, to the U.S. and go into seminary. Well, I come out to Korea uh, years later, and 
I meet up with him, and we have a conversation, and, and he tells me uh, he's not a Christian anymore. And to me, it was surprising, because he was thinking about going into ministry. That was his passion. At that time, he was actually youth pastoring. So I'm thinking, what, what happened? And so he shares with me his deconversion story. He was attending church. He was a Hagwan teacher. It was hard. Timing didn't work out. He tried to join small groups. It didn't really match. And so slowly stopped getting plugged into small group, slowly stopped going to church, slowly started hanging out with his other Hagwan teacher friends. So I asked him, well, if you consider yourself a non-Christian, do you actually not believe in Christ? And this is what blew me away. He says, no, I, I still believe, but I just don't care. I, I enjoy my life right now. And to this day, he doesn't desire to change at all. It can happen to anybody. Think about another friend who was committed to the local church, but was so disappointed in his church. So he decided, okay, I'm not going to leave this local church and just hop around for a while, just listen to online sermons. Met up with his friend, and what that person said also shocked me. He says, Joel, I'm done with the church. I said, what? What do you mean you're done with the church? And he's so disappointed by the church. And he shared about all the reasons he's disappointed by the church. And you know, you know what he said? I was like, man, you don't know the half of it. I'm a pastor. You don't know my struggles. And I was just helping him see, yes, this disappointment of the church is real. But don't you realize God has used a broken church this whole time. That is actually the miracle. We actually don't understand how broken the church is, yet God does all these amazing things through broken pastors, broken leaders, broken churches. Because he dwells there. And because he dwells there, he is greater than any church's sin. He is greater than any pastor's sin. You'll get disappointed by many spiritual leaders. But know this, when the church gathers, it's a sacred space. And it'll help you persevere and endure. You see, the reason many people fall away from the faith is not because they stopped believing in God. It's because they stopped feeling God. They know. They don't feel it. I'm not talking about simply emotions here. I'm talking about the heart, your deepest commitments. It's just not there anymore. They know one thing, but their heart's complete in a different, different place. What the church does, it's, it's where your, your heart is warmed by the faith, the fire of other believers, of the Holy Spirit. Church, uh, church is not easy. Never has, never will be. Today with Zoom, not easy. Live streaming, not easy. But God is greater. He is greater. He is working even now. Lastly, as we think about how this all culminates, it's, it's about how now the church is not just a sacred space. It's not this enduring community. It's an organic group of people. And this is, I think, the most beautiful part of it. You see, it's not because this space is holy that this is holy. It's not because a church is nice that that space becomes good. There's no mystical power here in this space. You see, the church is not a building you want to be a part of. It's a people you want to be a part of. You want to be a part of the people, a part of that church community. 
And it's these people that make it special. It's every person where the Holy Spirit in, uh, dwells in each person. It's that group, your small group of eight people, when they come together, everyone wanting to love Jesus, also struggling in their own sin, as they come together, as they spur each other on towards love and good deeds. That's why it's so unique. And that's what he's saying. He's saying in verse 24, let us consider how. Let us consider how we stir, stir each other up, how we meet up. It doesn't say, let's consider whether we should meet up, and that's usually our struggle. Should I go to small groups? Should I go to church? No, it's assumed. If you're a Christian, you're a part of a local church because that's where God dwells and works. And so you're committed. Now the question is, as I'm committed, how do I make this work? Especially in this season of Zoom, the question is, how do we make it work? I don't know. I don't know. But that's what it's saying. Let us consider. And that word spur, uh, 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 steer up uh, within each other. It's that word actually to provoke. It's actually a very uh, angry word, right? You've heard the phrase, don't provoke me, right? Someone gets into your face, says something, and you say, don't provoke me. Don't offend me. Don't say that to my face. That's the idea. Don't stir up. It's that word uh, in uh, Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas, they had this strong disagreement. It was a provoking. And so they split. They go their separate ways. It's that idea that you provoke one another, stir up one another, not towards anger, not towards judgment. You provoke one another towards love and good deeds, service. So think about that. The church is not supposed to be able to figure it all out from the top down. Leadership is very important. But you realize the church is beautiful, not just because of leadership. The church is beautiful because so much of it is a grassroots movement. All the, all the revivals of our time, it's because college students saw Christ. And it was a grassroots movement. It was these people passionate for the Lord who started prayer gatherings. It was a grassroots movement. Preaching is important. Leadership is important. But I challenge you and, and tell you, I think you are more important than me. I think how you live in this church, how you stir each other up is more important than even me. I'm only one person. All of you can do so much more than I ever could. You see, the church... It's, it's, the, it's a meeting up together, considering how do we do this? How do we do this? And so that's actually my clear application for you. In this season, as we're socially distancing, I want you in your small group to actually use your next small group meeting to answer this question, to consider how you can meet up regularly and stir up slash provoke one another to love and service. If your small group is struggling, take it upon you. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to do my responsibility. I can't control anybody else, but I'll do what I can so that I can stir each other up towards love and good deeds. It's from the bottom up, not the top down, how the church actually goes wide. So that's my encouragement to you. Now, you know it's hard. I know we're so tired of the screens and all of that. And so be creative. I know some people are inviting 
a small group of people to their home on Sundays to worship together. I know others of you are trying to be more intentional, but maybe your whole small group can't gather, so maybe three or four people can gather together. Maybe have that discussion with your small group leader. Hey, in this season, what if we actually split up our group and it's three people, four people, and we'll just go to a cafe and we'll meet up there. You do the hard work of considering. Not to say that we are not. We've, we've been considering a lot of how to do this for big gatherings and small gatherings. But I'm going to be honest. We need your help. We need you to consider what this looks like. It's going to be hard. But isn't it worth it that you can continue to go into this sacred, sacred gatherings? But what did Christ do? He bridged that gap, right? For he traveled a distance between heaven and earth. He humbled himself from God to be man. He endured the penalty of our sins on the cross so that we could have a holy uh, gathering where we would then, at that point, encounter God. God, right now, is working in our midst. If you can see that, if you can see what he has for us, though it will cost us, though it will be challenging for us, though there will be a commitment that we need to make, as you see what Christ has done, let's meet him there and, now, and allow God, through his people, to work in our hearts. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.